1: Who let the dogs out? It's me. It's me. I'm Jackie the Dog Zabrowski. I was the one that was let out. And if you want to come see a dog in action, come out to the Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser live show in January. We're going to be in Chicago. We're going to be in Pontiac, Michigan. We're going to be in Milwaukee. So why don't you come out and join us? It's going to be a heck of a time. You can get your ticky tickies at lastpodcastnetwork.com slash p7live. I sure would like to meet you. I'll see you in January
2: hello everybody it's your jesus air spinning wizard holden mcneely fucking Revert off that half pipe.
0: So here I am Growing older all the time Looking older all the time Feeling younger in my mind And here I am Doing everything I can Holding on to what I am Pretending I'm a Superman Wizard Jake Young Here to talk about maybe the greatest thing to come out of the 2000s, except uh, besides the Patriot Act. God bless America.
2: Um, no bruisers today, but that's completely fine. We've got a double wizard episode for you. <laughs> Bonus. Just get ready for it. It's just going to be nothing with spells and potions today, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we were talking about one of my favorite games of all time.
0: Everybody's favorite game of all time.
2: I... Uh, it's like, I just, let me just talk about this in hopes that my parents don't like listen to the show regularly. So I,
0: there I was, but naked <laughs> jerking off in my parents' bedroom. I'm
2: just going to say that I may have discovered this video game and weed and the weed at mm-hmm. around the same time. And man, it is like coffee and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It is like, it is like bread and butter. It just went together so well. And I loved that. I fell in love with this game. You know, it's one of those two where I think when it comes to Tony Hawk and I saw that it had a slow start mm-hmm. in terms of sales upon release. And I think that I was one of the reasons for that because I looked at I was like, oh, this just looks like one of these sports games that I don't play. Mm-hmm. And, and then eventually someone got it into my hands. I forget how. And I immediately took to the play style and to the way those games flowed. And just fell in love with this fucking game to the point where, by the way, I have 100% of this game with every single character in the first three entries of this. That's impressive. Like every unlockable character, Darth Maul, Spider-Man, <laughs> the cop. Uh, I mean, I I went ham. I unlocked like all of those videos that you can get at the end of people busting oh. their ass, which was like so much fun and learned so much about skaters because... One of the cool things about the game is if you beat the game with any one skater, you'd get like a highlight video of their best tricks. And it was always, like, really mind-blowing, and you got to learn so much about skateboarding just inherently by beating the game.
0: I still remember unlocking the Rodney Mullen uh, video in yeah. Tony Hawk 2. is he the one that could do all the crazy, like, on like oh, just flatland, flip magic the board ballet. Around. Yeah, he was my, like my favorite. Like a like a goddamn magician doing things that I could not perceive of.
2: Yeah, it was so cool. So you had so all these really cool incentives to beat the game, mm-hmm. especially back then, like, internet videos, not as easy to come by. Now it'd be like, dude, I'll just youtube rodney mullen right now i don't need to beat a video game for for this highlight clip but you did kind of need to do that back in the day because you didn't you know it wasn't as easy to get that kind of thing online and so like i don't know um what to say about how much i love this game you know i think one of the big things for me is like i'm not a free form guy i'm not a minecrafter Mm. i'm not a i'm not a build your world or make your world and a lot of the game was built around, you know, just just a basic, fun, free skate mode, right? Where you just run around, but then the career mode was so up my alley. Every single level has a list of objectives, right? (laughs) And, um, you know, uh, you unlock more levels by uh, doing, and different objectives including- Collect the skate letters. Collect collect the the skate letters. Find the hidden tapes. Find the hidden VHS tape find that you know get the highest score and then little objectives unique to that level like it'd be like make the pole break or something yeah, like hit that
0: the x weird gaps
2: right and so in order to 100% the game with every character you would have to do that career mode with every character you know and doing the same tricks and it wasn't repetitive to me. And it, it actually became a game after a while of how can I get all of the mm-hmm. things in this level in one run? At
0: prime, I could get everything on school, too. Yeah. And in was, one
2: run. Right. Uh, and each run was only two minutes. Yeah. And sometimes I got to the point where I was like, oh, man, I have to do a third run where it, used to, it would take like an you know an hour just to beat one level fully. And just the flow of it. So you have like this perfect mixture of do your thing. Make it yours. Do the tricks your way but also fulfill these objectives so if you're hanging out with your friends you're just you can just fuck around and skate around um you know all high and then if you're alone you can get you know get all these achievements and stuff and 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 unlock all this stuff while high and it just worked so well on every level and i just i was so obsessed with these games and that's why it's so sad i'm so i'm so glad we can tell the story of like what happened to this franchise because those first 3 entries especially i never really played 4 but from the looks of it 4 was solid too yeah but it just it's like those were just killer blockbuster games that everybody knew and loved and man I remember, too, in the... So, starting with two, they introduced manuals, and mm. and manuals essentially made it so you could be grinding, doing a bunch of tricks, flipping, flapping, and then you land on the ground, and if you had down up, I believe, or up down. I think one was for either. a
0: rear manual. One was for for
2: right. Manual. Then you would like essentially be able to ride on the ground while keeping the trick going because you're balancing mm-hmm. on just one set of wheels, and you had to do this little balance mini game essentially. And then you could link that to another grind or whatever. And in the third game, they introduced reverts, right, where you can land off of a half pipe into a manual mm-hmm. and keep the tricks going. And so I remember by the by the end of three. I would get someone would come over and be like let's play uh you know you know want we'll to play Tony Hawk All right cool oh no we'd go to the uh, cruise ship level, and they would think they're doing really well because I have no score <laughs> the entire game I have zero score right because I was linking a trick together that took the entire what two minute three mm-hmm. minute time limit. I was able to do a full trick for the entire time and then land it right before the timeline was up and you would just be like, and it would just go, and just be like billions of points, right? And and it was insane. It was so fun to do that to people and make them so upset. Um. And uh,
0: as Tony Hawk culture has kind of like evolved, there's like weird like indie mods and all these things that have like kept the dream alive. And now like if you go, if you right now are a, You're like, oh, I want to pick up that old Tony Hawk magic. You get the modded version that has all the online play. And uh, you could end up in a horse game where the person you're playing against does a half hour long trick combo. Totally. Totally.
2: Yeah, and I guess that's also the thing. There were other mini game stuff. There was horse, things like that. Really great for multiplayer. Really great solo experience. Really great for the player that just wants to fuck around and do their own thing and and create. Also, you had to build a park even. But I mean, just create in terms of how they want to do moves in in the space. And also, really good situation for people who like a more objective-based experience like myself. So, it just really was a perfect storm of gameplay, mechanics, elements essentially choose your own way to play it and then also and then in the back like and then you've got this unbelievably great soundtrack you've got this whole world uh this whole culture that is so has been built up over a couple of decades by that point that I, not enough people were exposed to that became normalized in a lot of ways through these games as well it became
0: what was like this amorphous generations long geographically scattered culture right became condensed into a singular kind of voice and it became a thing where no matter where you were if you picked up the tony hawk games that was like the crib notes version of skate culture. And from there you could dive in.
2: Yeah. And one of the cool things about which is what you don't catch at first glance, just based off like the cover is like every other sports game, they had similar covers, Mm -hmm. right? And they were sports games. And those sports games were trying to be as realistic as possible, which was like boring to me. You know what I mean? I would rather play, you know, NBA jam than like NBA 2K. Right. And this was more like an NBA jam of skating. Like it was fantastical. It was silly. It had a bunch of weird, like it, oh, you tons know. of
0: crude uh, teen boy humor.
2: Yeah, just and and it was it was over the top. Like you're going, you're fucking, you know, grinding on a
0: helicopter. Area fifty one. Yeah, you're
2: you're going down, and then you're going down the Grand Canyon. It's not it's not realistic at all. It's like silly and over the top, and I think that really worked for it and helped it, you know, and just the whole V eight like you got to find a secret VHS tape. I mean, it's just goofy, you know? And I think that that, that arcade-y feel, oh, yeah. it really, that's what it is, right? That's what I guess I'm getting to. It, it's, it has this arcade feel to it that's like, and, and where Crazy Taxi failed to do that on console, mm-hmm. Tony Hawk really took advantage of what makes games so fun in the arcade and translated it so much more purely to a console experience.
0: That's one of the things that made Tony Hawk, uh, the Tony Hawk series so great, is that, it arcadified uh, the sport and it provided all these like uh, breadcrumbs that now if they do that in a game, it's like locked behind paywalls, it's right. locked behind microtransactions, it's locked behind all these things to like get more money out of you, but instead just the reward of unlock, of continuously unlocking continuously. more decks, more skaters, yes. it, more it, levels. It was
2: very rewarding in that sense. Yeah. Like it, con- you were constantly unlocking shit. As you played that game. And that's why I beat it with everybody. Because I love unlocking shit. Like, I be, you know, I did the same thing with, like, Tekken 3. People right? don't
0: tell it. Like, uh, uh, we talked about it in the World of Warcraft episode a little bit that the revolutionary thing about it was every little thing you did rewarded you. Yeah. So even though the gameplay, by the time you're good at Tony Hawk, it's almost, like, zen. It's almost yeah. mindless. Yes. You're just, like, kind of in full delta wave as your fingers are just flicking everywhere. Uh, all high yeah but no matter what at the end you still get like everything you get you've unlocked a level you've unlocked more decks you've gotten more money so you go spend to get more stats and that was I miss new. I
2: miss that so much about gaming because I remember I guess Tekken 3 would have been around the same time it was the same kind of thing where you used to get a fighting game and expect to play it through a bunch and keep getting new shit out of it getting new characters getting new you know, just game modes, everything, right? And that was so, I I do lament that. This is like the old man screaming at the cloud thing, but that I do lament. Same thing with Neversoft also put out a really good Spider-Man game that I loved. And that game also did that, but in the (laughs) Spider-Man way. And honestly, I think the new PlayStation Spider-Man game took a little bit from
0: that. Well, Insomniac definitely borrowed from Tony Hawk to make Sunset Overdrive, uh huh, which was kind of this amazing thing where, I, I wish I had Googled more examples of this, but trust me when I say this, that the Tony Hawk grind mechanic, the movement of Tony Hawk, kind of became a part of gaming the same way that sure. Mario introduced platform jumping, the same way Minecraft introduced crafting and building. Right. That like Tony Hawk mode of uh, grinding and jumping off walls and like ch- even chaining different tricks together to build a meter. Tony Hawk introduced that and it's just now a part of games like other games can now incorporate those mechanics.
2: Yeah, they may and and they really in game made you feel so badass whenever you pull off something for the first time is I remember when but my first special move I ever did was left right circle which is <laughs> Jesus air ah. off the half pipe and I remember like I was like really you can do this like you know because I had just started learning how to play the game and when you hit it because it just makes that like like that fucking <laughs> noise like you're a badass and then I was spinning around and then I like landed it or whatever and was like this is amazing I didn't think I could I can't believe I just pulled that off like that's amazing you know what I mean it almost it almost replicated that feeling in a much smaller degree of when someone actually performs a, a trick <laughs> for the first time on a park, you yeah. know? And, I mean, it, even just talking about it now, too, I mean, that warehouse level, too, in terms of level design, it's iconic. That mm-hmm. I, I can see that entire warehouse level in my head right now to a T, like, so specifically. I And, I'm, again, though, I put in so many fucking dumb hours on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And all three of them, really. Uh, but man, that I mean, and that and that because that was what got everybody in was the warehouse level, right? Yeah. The, There's uh, a controller. F- go down this ramp, and you're in there, and just fuck around and have a blast. And and uh, man, what a what a what a like what great level design all running all through that game. Oh yeah. Especially in a genre that hadn't really been created yet. So, they don't, I mean, they're making it up as they go along, the and it's just
0: killer. Best part, one of the best parts of playing Tony Hawk is um, when you first start out and you're like a little bit like rickety on your legs and you don't quite understand how to chain stuff together. You know, you don't have a sense of like how to land, you're going from vert to grind to all that stuff. You, you bail a lot. And then as you get better, as you get more sure on your feet, you see how the level has been designed to help you like go from trick to trick to trick and uh-huh. how. What seemed like just a jumble of ramps and and rails is actually a meticulously designed playground.
2: Yeah. Uh, So anyways, love it, live it. I I wish I could have it in my life now. And unfortunately for me, and we'll talk about more of why this is going on, even that HD remake that came out, it just didn't feel right. And I don't know what the deal is. And I don't know why they lost the ability to even just make the basic game feel like it once did but they did lose that and i don't know how what they need to do or how it could ever happen
0: no the way to play tony hawk is the way i've been playing it this week which is on a dreamcast emulator on my phone with a xbox controller and, yeah, and you said it does actually feel like the game like the original game it is the original game it well, plays just, exactly but, like the original cuz
2: those hd and that's how bad they fucked up the franchise and we'll talk about those fucks in a little while i hate those guys no
0: they're poor bastards i know
2: they're poor bastards and i know they probably tried their hardest but man from the out just out of the gate they just they just drove that franchise in the ground and that hd remake i i don't know how you fuck it up honestly because they did it so well for so many games and then, even though it was given to a different dev, it's like you guys couldn't figure this out, and it doesn't feel right. Like the timing feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like it ever did. And, for the and record, Holden, uh, do
0: you have you ever skated for real?
2: Barely, barely. I, I've, I've, you know, but I've been on a skateboard before. I've ridden it down the street. I've like attempted a kickflip <laughs> once or twice, like nothing crazy at all. But I've definitely like put my body on a skateboard before. I've never been. I've never. Ridden a half pipe. I've never, uh, yeah, been even been on a skate park with a skateboard. But you know, I've definitely like ridden one on a driveway.
0: I have never successfully kicked myself into motion on a skateboard. Okay, and I have a, you know, it's a nice combination of the obesity with uh, brittle bones. Right. So it's it, terrifying. It's just a suicide plank. I've definitely if busted I saw, ass <laughs>
2: on a skateboard. It's not. It's it's a very scary thing to take up. It's definitely the kind of thing you you normally get into as an indestructible child, mm-hmm. indestructible child, and then you transfer that into adulthood. So if you didn't really get into it, but yeah, I've definitely, at this age, at this point, I don't think I would even get on one just because of, like, healthcare and shit, you know what I mean? Which is, like, so sad, but it's so adult. Uh, But, yeah. I'm going
0: to call up Aetna and be like, hey, do you have skateboard insurance?
2: (laughs) They probably would be like, yeah, it's fucking (laughs) $8,000. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's so easy to get hurt on those things. But, yeah, I've ridden one. Okay, let's get into the history of this. It's a fascinating story. It, of course, involves evil Activision. Uh, If you want more detail about... Why we call Activision evil and blah 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 and and a little bit more background on uh, detailed background on like what the business models that would make a franchise like this fail. Check out our Activision episode. We probably won't go near as into it as we did in that episode, Mm -hmm. but still. Bobby Kotick's a real son of a bitch. Oh my god! It's just the model every year, huh? Can't Mm. take a year off. Here we go. So, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was released on the PlayStation in late 1999 and later ported to all other major consoles at the time. It was developed by Neversoft and published by Activision. Very important to know. And In my
0: head, I can still see that opening cinematic Uh of the slithery eyeball getting stabbed with
2: the spear. 100%. And it was under the genre of extreme sports. You're skating around on a skateboard in a 3D environment, scoring points by linking together tricks with multiple modes. We already talked about that. Free play, career mode. All that good stuff. I'm trying to do the opening synopsis at first, just in mm-hmm. case one person's just who only knows Minecraft is just screaming like, "What the fuck even is it?" It's a skateboard game.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I think they might know that though.
0: Oh, god. And as a as a as a child of the 80s and 90s, there were other skateboard games, Skater Die, California Games. Let's All talk of them about it. Sucked balls. All of them pretty much sucked balls. Of- no, no, unequivocally, they were unplayable pieces of garbage. So- if you look me in the eye, you're like, I loved. Coherently playing skate or die and not just like hitting buttons and dying constantly while renting it from Blockbuster. I'm going to call you a liar. Well, before we even get into the bad skating games, let's get into
2: how skating came into prominence in the first place. A brief history, Jake, a brief history of skateboarding. So in California, sometimes the surfers, they'd have slow days because uh, the weather sucked. The, or, and, and at least the weather probably was nice. But that led to bad waves. Mm. So the weather that led to bad waves made them, made them quote, flat those days they would have all this downtime, and they decided to create what they called sidewalk surfing by placing roller skate wheels on wooden boxes or boards and this is back in the late 40s early 1950s is is how early this began surf shops started to modify the design and make them more surfboard like in the 60s. The first skateboarding competition happened in 1965 in Anaheim, California and it was aired on NBC's Wide World of Sports which involved (laughs) freestyle as well as a downhill race, like almost like a slalomy kind of thing, which is a little... You don't get that today. That that sort of slowly exited as the street skating became more popular in the 80s. Patty McGee would be the first sponsored skateboarder traveling the world to show her moves. She also, I believe, won one of the first tournaments. There was a group that would later become popularly known as the Z-Boys, and... (laughs) I believe the documentary is called Dogtown and Z-Boys. Check that documentary out. If any of this tickles your fancy, this history of skateboarding, that will give you such a good, more detailed more nuanced view of how the sport came to promise especially the dogtown z boys they interview a ton of them they have all this
0: cool old footage of the fr- i mean obviously this is the story of the first furry community that happened in <laughs> california all of the dog boys all
2: the dog boys <laughs> and the z towns uh yeah but definitely check out uh dogtown and z boys i
0: love to roll on the plank
2: <laughs> <laughs> with my tail sticking up uh <laughs> So these guys were like really the pioneers of the aggressive new skateboarding styles and were some of the first experiment. One of the things that I loved was like in California, there'd be a lot of just like empty, empty swimming, swimming pool. pools and that's why how the ramp skating mm-hmm. started. They just needed a place to skate and they were like, well, let's try out this empty <laughs> swimming pool. This looks fun. And so that's where you got even like, I think that was essentially the birth of the pool and the half pipe. The vert? The, the vert the, the style? Vert. Yeah, that vert style. But the lack of skate parks and businesses banning skating on their premises, among other things, led to a decline in popularity of the sport through the 1980s, uh, with a small group of dedicated individuals keeping it alive through the 90s. And the big thing, too, is this is where skateboarding and like the punk aesthetic and everything came to prominence because they have this burgeoning sport, mm-hmm. but they have no support for it. So, And what they need is they need public spaces to do cool stuff on, like rails mm-hmm. and empty pools and things like that, but as those things are becoming more and more banned to skaters, it just gets more and more punk. It's more and more renegade. And, uh, and Officer,
0: listen, before you write that ticket, I need to uh, attract your attention to my bumper sticker. As you can see, it says skateboarding is not a crime, <laughs> and I think this prompts whatever mandate you have, sir.
2: Because what we have in the late 90s, early 2000s is the advent of like the extreme sports, snowboarding and skateboarding and all of this stuff and like ESPN giving it support I mean
0: literally what it is is ESPN needs to fill airtime this right. is the birth of cable this is now the 24-hour place and the birth of uh, of extreme sports as a profitable thing was act- was born from necessity and the way they kind of took what was this counterculture thing and tried to make it a proper athletic thing with the X Games with a bunch of other uh televised events brought what was this counterculture into the limelight.
2: Right, and and before that, it's this street thing, it's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. it, it, more than a sport. Then the extreme sports thing, no, legitimize it, no, now it is. Now we're gonna take it seriously as a sport. It like rose from the ashes of street culture. And so now you've got a little bit of both. You have people taking it very seriously as a sport, you still have that street aesthetic, that punk aesthetic tied in with it, but it is also more legitimized now, but, Tony Hawk's pro skater really did a lot to help get it there. Um, so Tony Hawk, let's talk about him. The Very lanky boy. Briefly. Yeah, the lanky boy. Born in the late 60s in San Diego, California, he was described as hyperactive but also terribly hard on himself. And I think that's what gives you this skate pro what, skater. What, a professional
0: athlete with the near-psychopathic perfectionist streak? <laughs> I don't
2: believe it. And he becomes a professional skateboarder at the age of 14 and became the National Skateboard Association World Champion for 12 consecutive years. 12 years. So, here we go. Now, let's talk about skateboarding and video games meeting together and, yes, releasing a bunch of shitty skateboarding games. One of the earliest skateboarding games was Atari's 720, which was released in arcades in 1986. Did you get to play this game? I saw a little footage of it. I just
0: remember back in the day where I would spend time in arcades, the 7... I would like walk up to the 720 thing being like, oh, this is going to be so cool. It's got a boom box in the cabinet. This is definitely going to be a great game. And it's just like even shittier marble madness. Just nothing. (laughs) And what you're doing is
2: you're skating around neighborhoods doing tricks. And once you get enough points up, you can keep playing and you'll get put into competitions and stuff like that is essentially the flow of the game. California Games was released in 1987. Now, I remember Boiling California shit. Games. I remember that.
0: Boiling garbage. Uh,
2: that was released on most home computers and game consoles at the time Involved uh, and involved different events, surfing, frisbee, hacky sack. There was also skateboarding on a half pipe. That's what brings us to EA's release Skate or Die in 1988. And that was the most household-known mm-hmm. skateboarding game. It had at least, like what I will say, uh, it did have uh, the aesthetic it was more recognizing what skating really was, where it was at at that point. Maybe taking advantage of that a little bit with the attitude, but either way. Now now it's like 10 years after Skater Die, almost. Sega releases Top Skater in 1997. That is an arcade game. It's got the actual board you can ride on, right? And I, I believe I've played this game where you get on the board, you have the rails and you can like kind of hold on to and you're balancing and you're skating, but it's very like one direction. It's, it's very right. It's
0: downhill. It's it's still based on racing, but as you hit jumps, you can like kick on the board and do kickflips and stuff very much from that crazy taxi, uh, like American trucker, uh, era. So, you know, a time attack, you know, you had to hit checkpoints. If you're like, if you, you know, basically the first time you play, you're basic. You're trying to figure out the controls for thirty seconds. You run out of time because you didn't hit the checkpoint, and you have to put in another two dollars.
2: So this is followed by Street Skater with an eight in there. Skater uh, that was released in 1998 for the PlayStation, in which the player would complete tracks doing tricks to gain points in a set time limit, and featured music from different punk bands. So you actually have some more connection to Tony Hawk in that sense. So that is the predecessor, and that is where we are. Uh, this is, now we're in 1994. It's 1994, uh, Neversoft is founded. It this is-
0: blew my mind, this totally makes sense, that uh, the entire company was people that spun off from the Malibu Comics. Malibu,
2: yeah, so Malibu Comics' is, uh, uh, Malibu Interactive, which uh, was- God. A, I don't know how, I, I feel like this barely existed, but this was like a video game div, dev division of Malibu Comics. You want to tell us about Malibu Comics?
0: Uh, just in the wake of Image Comics, there are all these other imprints that became popular with very extreme superheroes. So, uh, you know, we had Valiant Comics, we had a bunch of other stuff, but Malibu, I think their number one character was a guy named Prime, who is this like hyper muscled, crazy. Uh, Superman parody. There was also Ultra Force, and uh, which was clearly their like X Men Wildcats thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The X Mutants, which was just a blatant knockoff of X Men, but it was part of this comic book uh, speculation boom. So they kept pumping out new characters and kept pumping out number ones, and therefore they all of a sudden were in the game because. People were just buying up anything with a number one on it. So these it guys... Ju- it just adds to their 90s extreme bona fides that this is where they got their start. I and guess apparently
2: they saying. also did sports games like ABC Wide World of Sports Boxing and some other stuff like that. And NHL. I couldn't figure out, though, like what happened with these guys and what happened after their time or before their time. But either way, the founders of Neversoft are Joel Jewett, Mick West, and Chris Ward. And they had a canceled project for Playmates Toys for the Sega Genesis... Uh, Their first game after that, though, was Skeleton
0: Warriors. Technically, their canceled game was a Skeleton Warriors adaptation. Right, and then they just... Um, Mary, I'm sorry. If you can, uh, play a couple of seconds of the Skeleton Warriors theme song.
1: Skeleton Warriors!
2: (laughs) So that's their first game. That comes out in 1995. It is fantastic funny to watch. It, it is. is from
0: that weird Donkey Kong Country era where all the characters are like pre-rendered CG sprites, but it moves so stiff and weird. But even in this initial stage, it's actually kind of interesting.
2: You can see a little bit of you the can TH see, vibe.
0: You can you know uh you can see the Neversoft vibe with like uh-huh. lots of like amber and earthy kind of color contrasts. Uh it yeah, the whole thing has like a very heavy metal uh look to it. You know, the Neversoft logo is a wriggling eyeball. And for Skeleton Warriors, they leaned into that heavy metal aesthetic.
2: So that for a little bit, they they start expanding in 1996, but then they have some rocky projects, canceled endeavors. They, they end up shrinking back down to 12 employees in 1997. And as they're about to run out of money, they have a successful meeting with Activision. This is 1998 now, and they were uh, looking for a dev team to redevelop a failed game based on the film Apocalypse. Activision was, that is starring Bruce Willis. Everybody remembers Apocalypse starring Bruce Willis. Neversoft had tech based on a failed project that was ideal for it. So they've got, now they're messing around with this. They they essentially bail Activision out uh, of this
0: fucked up, failed It's uh, It's a mutual situation. bailing. Uh, yeah. The game that Neversoft was working on was called Big Guns. It was supposed to be a Sony-published third-person action game. And they really put the work into building a a solid, steady 3D engine for the PlayStation, which even though we all remember it as like this great 3D kind of uh, console, really had issues with like expansive levels, with textures, with models. It was you know, that, that PlayStation jitter effect that kind of permeates all those early generation games. Uh, it was hard to actually get it nailed down. So this was a boon if you don't have to develop the engine you're already you already did half the work especially in those early 3d days so activision signed this deal with bruce willis he got it you know they did the digital scan he recorded all the voice
2: on his face
0: (laughs) and by contract it had to come out they couldn't just be like well we tried but this is a weird action game where bruce willis just goes like hell yeah suck my missile like it's real awful I think in the original premise, he was supposed to be your cool sidekick, Hmm. so you're playing along, you're not the main character, you're... Bruce Willis's friend, and Bruce Willis is the main character, but you play as you, some shitty person. Producer of
2: Tony Hawk, Scott Peace, said Activision had this deal with Bruce Willis. It had to get done. Neversoft picked up those pieces and just jammed together a game in nine months, and that was awesome. Peace had actually grown up with skateboarding all throughout his childhood. He even had a half pipe in his backyard, and he loved the early games like Skate or Die. Uh, David Stoll, producer of Tony Hawk, said there was a stand-up arcade machine across the street from NeverSoft called Top Skater. It was in a bowling alley, and we'd all go across the street and play that. This is while they're working on Apocalypse. So then Mick West said we took Apocalypse and turned it into a skateboarding game. We took Bruce Willis, stuck him on a skateboard. This is my favorite part of the whole story. <laughs> they took, we took Bruce Willis, stuck him on a skateboard, and just had him skating around rooftops. So, in other words. They get bailed out by Activision, who they are also bailing out in turn by fixing their Bruce Willis game. And then while all this is going on, they're like, hey, it'd be kind of cool if we made a skating game. Let's take the Bruce Willis sprite. (laughs) I need to say, I didn't look up footage of this. I need to look up footage of this. Uh,
0: You can find uh, uh, at least pictures of it and in a in the early beta, th- I don't know if it made it all the way to that uh demo disc that we'll I guess we'll get to, but yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis's character was standing as a statue in the mall fountain on the <laughs> mall level in number for a long period during development.
2: So the Apocalypse Project is a success, and Activision therefore says, Okay, what else do you got? We're Activision down to was make like, your next.
0: Holy game. shit, you delivered a game that runs well. On time, under budget. In nine months. You are our friends now. (laughs) (laughs) And so they say,
2: hey, we'd maybe like to make a skateboarding game. It was Peace who was credited with coming up with the fundamentals of the gameplay. That was Scott Peace, the producer I mentioned earlier. He had actually quit Activision to work full-time with Neversoft. And apparently this office environment is similar to, you know, we did an episode on Doom. We did an episode on these 90s game devs, especially when it's a smaller situation, in this case, 12. It was described as a bit of a frat house vibe. Chris Roche, who was one of the designers on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater said, Nerf bullets flying everywhere. We were all stuffed in. Three people in rooms made for one and a half. It was impossible not to be close to your teammates. Joel built a ramp in his backyard and we'd go have these skate parties at his house and everybody's just eating shit all over Joel's backyard, drinking beers, trying to figure out what this is we're trying to capture on screen. So the trick system evolves over a long period of time through the course of 1998. Peace said, we never wanted you to accidentally do something you didn't want to do, even if that was cool. Uh, We wanted it to do exactly what you were telling it to do. When you actually physically push the button and then you get snapped into the rail, it feels like you're doing something versus the game kind of playing itself. I also really loved that I felt it was very novel at the time to have you hold down the jump button or mm-hmm. the it was hold down X and then when you were ready to jump you let go of the button and at first i was like what is this nonsense just hit the button to jump and then you realize actually how great that is like how how it's like cuz the skater readies themselves while you hold it down and then that release just feels right and and definitely the grinding on with triangle Was instantly felt great. It 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 felt like something that I felt uh, was challenging enough to be rewarding whenever I pulled it off, and at the same time smooth enough where it pretty much you always pretty much pulled it off. So just and I know these are like such little details, but man, they really were novel at the time and really felt. Incredible.
0: Another early thing that I I read about in this uh, gigantic ebook that I bought off a shady website uh, (laughs) was that initially the beta testers, when they were still just trying to figure out what this game could be, they had focused heavily on a downhill racing mechanic, kind of like Top Skater. And uh, there's a couple of downhill levels that did make it to the final game. But the beta testers kept doing was they kept not doing tricks on the actual race, they all just wanted to get to the bottom where they had kind of just set up a placeholder skate park area uh-huh. for the, you know, when you landed and to show like you reached the end and they would show the scores on screen. Right. They would skip the scoring screen and just take as much time as they could to just dick around in the skate park. That was more compelling than the racing. And that kind of gave them their a big light bulb idea. that yeah. Oh, oh, freedom is more important than just going down a narrow corridor.
2: Yes, and they still had those downhill levels, which I did enjoy, for sure. But yes, there was something about, and oh, this is another huge fucking thing (laughs) that they fucked up on in later entries uh, when when it moved away from Neversoft. That quick restart Mm -hmm. was massive. Like if you don't have the quick restart in Tony Hawk, you've lost the script, and that's what they did later on. They lost the script on that. Like it should be one. It should be start hit the, hit the X button. There shouldn't be two menus. There should it shouldn't be a menu within a menu, and it should be like barely any load time. That's the Tony Hawk vibe. So when you do fuck up and you and you're like I want to start again, I know I can do this better. Boom, you're right back at the beginning in two seconds, and uh, that that. Was huge in this because you really needed that, especially for the uphill levels. Mm-hmm. You really needed that because you didn't want to have any amount of w- having to wait until the end of anything if you fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, because you've done this downhill or thing a million it, maybe times. Maybe you just
0: didn't want to hear the song that they're playing. You're yeah, sure. Like, I don't need the anthrax bring the noise <laughs> remake.
2: <laughs> this that vibe for the mall level. I want yeah. the. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want "New Girl" by Suicide. Uh, by uh, uh, oh, what's call it? I love this band, uh, the Suicide Machines. I love that there are two bands with the word Wait, how "suicide" did that one in go? them. I got a new girl, do I got? I got a new girl. I really like their album with "New Girl" on it. Also, SOS is a really good song on that album. They're mm. really fun ska punk. Anywho, uh, so Silvio Peretta was the lead artist on the game. He would actually brainstorm with the team. They'd be drawing out levels on the spot. I loved looking at these sketches. It was really interesting. Um, Also, to side note, because I love when this happens for any episode we do, there's a really good oral history online of the Tony Hawk franchise where a lot of these quotes and things are being pulled from. But those sketches were really neat to look at. Uh, They looked at a lot of skater magazines for level ideas. And Peretta said, whatever I create, I like to put a lot of layers and I like very gritty stuff. My approach with Tony Hawk was more street than competition, which I think was a good idea. Personally, um, I'm jumping off the quote there for a second. Back to it. Going up and down the ramp is completely boring, but on the street doing tricks on rails and steps. That's cool to me. They wanted to represent real skate culture within this fantastical package, including the graffiti, skateboards, deck art, and real skaters. I love to... Because a lot of the unlockables were just unlocking new decks and new designs. And that was great because you got these really cool... You know, going to a skate shop and looking at um, deck art is cool, even if you're not a skater. And I think that that was a a perfectly solid unlockable outside of new levels and new characters. Cause you're like, oh cool, I'm gonna switch to this one now. And you know, also everybody having their own stats was really neat even though by the end you would max out all their stats. But
0: even- Some people were better on streets. some people were better on vert. you actually learned about individual skaters just off of
2: that alone. Like, oh, this guy's more of a street guy, this guy's more of a half pipe air, like vertical air guy, you know what I mean? And Gal, there was a lady in the first one, one
0: single lady. We'll get to what, that. No, Alyssa Steamer was in like six games, <laughs> and uh, it's so it's so sad in the first uh, game because everyone gets their little bios, and so like when on Alyssa Steamer's bio, just be like, yes, she's a girl, but she'll kick your fucking ass. Like... Uh, so this and is... there were other girls in uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater yes. One. You had to unlock them, and they were porn stars, but oh. they still were there. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's Jake here to talk about this week's sponsor, Hawthorne. Have you been feeling as clean and as fresh as you'd like to? Maybe you're still using that same dollar store deodorant stick that you've had on your shelf since high school. Maybe the best cologne that you've ever come across came out of an aerosol can and was called Babe Magnet. Listen, there's no shame in it, but when the time comes to step up your game, Hawthorne has your back. Hawthorne has quality fragrances and bathroom essentials that will get you smelling and feeling better, all catered to your specific needs. In my box from Hawthorne, I got two amazing colognes. I especially like the invigorating citrus and woodsy scent from the daytime work formula. And this is not just ad read exaggeration here. They sent me what my favorite shampoo and deodorant I've ever used in my life. It's like washing your hair with moisturizing angel kisses, and the deodorant is an aluminum-free formula that has kept me dry and have kept the stink demons at bay despite all of my various nervous tics and weird energy. All I did was go to Hawthorne.co and fill out their really fun short quiz, and from that information they figured out exactly what my gross flesh needed to become less gross flesh. I cannot go back to using drugstore brands ever again. So if you're feeling like a flaky, greasy, stinky sweat monster lately, turn your whole deal around with a personalized box from Hawthorne. And guys, we wouldn't be doing this ad read if there wasn't a special offer for listeners. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E. And use promo code wizard to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H A W. T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O and use our code wizard to get 10% off your purchase. Hawthorne dot C-O. So Tony
2: Hawk gets involved around this point. At this point, we no Tony Hawk I- involvement up to this point. So they've already been well into game design, game they development. They knew they needed a license. Yes. Well, the marketing department specifically <laughs> knew they needed a license. They're the ones urging them to get a brand, a famous skater, etc. And that's probably the Activision element. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you got to get something in this. And honestly, they were right. I mean, it definitely helped a lot. I mean, and definitely Tony Hawk's involvement just helped legitimize their game in many ways that we're about to talk about. Uh,
0: so, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Who knows if Chad Muska's pro skater would end up the (laughs) same way? Yeah,
2: and even though he wasn't necessarily a household name until after this game got released, but if you knew skateboarding, he was the number one choice. No, he
0: was the Michael Jordan, he was the Wayne Gretzky, he was the guy. He
2: said, in 1998, I was enjoying a resurgence with my career because suddenly skating was back in the limelight with the advent of the X Games, which we talked about earlier, and street skating. Uh, skateboarding was valid. It just felt much more robust than skating in the 80s. Essentially, Tony Hawk, like, survived skateboarding in the 80s, which was much more
0: looked down upon, much more about the punk thing. Well, there was a weird – so Tony Hawk was this weirdly shaped boy yeah. who was killing it and at pretty these clean, competitions. And pretty clean cut. Yeah. He's
2: not showing up in Jinkos and fucking – you know what I mean? and yeah, like. Yeah. Like, he didn't have a mohawk. I mean, he looked like a normal, normal good boy.
0: He was, yeah. Um, but he demolished at these competitions back when it was in a, a resurgent thing in the 80s. Then, yeah, street culture kind of took over. But then when the X Games started, he just got back into the swing of things because he could do stuff. Yeah that nobody else could. So Tony Hawk is
2: actually first approached by Rockstar Games, of course, makers of GTA and all that good stuff. And he was close to doing something with them, but said something about it didn't feel as intuitive as I had hoped. And that they were, go- they were going for, quote, the hardcore skate crowd, which wasn't exactly his what, his, his aesthetic. So Activision ends up calling and setting up a meeting with him around this time. And so <laughs> I love this part of it. So Tony Hawk shows up and normal ass... Tony Hawk skater clothes like t-shirt cargo shorts the meeting starts out and and peace is immediately terrified because there's all these suits and they all just start just talking about business stuff and it's super boring, just terrible way to get him excited. Peace said the first thing they hit him with is the full on PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Skateboarding is growing at a phenomenal rate. They're going through revenue and projections and it just goes on and on and on. I'm looking at Tony across the table and I just see him sinking in his chair like, Oh God. But then peace hands Hawk a trick list. uh, And Hawk is like, Oh, this is like these guys. I think they kind of know what they're talking about. And then they wheel in a TV with a PlayStation and a demo that Hawk plays on the spot, and he is super into it of course the guy on the board when he's playing that demo is bruce willis which is amazing and bruce only knows a few tricks in the game he's not it's not like super comprehensive this is a very basic demo hawk said something about it felt right and i can't explain it i just knew that this was more fun to play and with my experience my resources i could make this something that represented skating authentically there wasn't a bidding war i signed off with them almost immediately and he was able to really get in there and get involved. And that's the cool thing about the Tony Hawk situation is he didn't just say, all right, here's my likeness. Here's my name. Go make your skate game, guys. No, he got he got in there. He was tweaking the tricks, making them look and feel more accurate to modern skating. They actually did a mocap thing with Tony Hawk, but it was almost more a gimmick. It was too gimmick.
0: late into it development. Was, yeah, it was way
2: too late in development. And they did use it a little bit as a resource for... You know, the, just the tricks and things like that if they needed it. But it was more kind of a gimmicky thing just so to that show Activision off video could, of it. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it's everything from uh, the locations to the humor to the aesthetic to even which uh, quote unquote pros made it into the game were all from recommendations from Tony.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. So th- I think that's the biggest thing for this whole situation with Tony Hawk. He brings in the roster and he is hand-selecting them based off of their variety of tricks, based off of what they can bring to the game. Stoll said, Tony was driving, saying we need Alyssa Steamer, we need Kareem Campbell, Bob Bernquist, Andrew Reynolds, all these people that we got for the game. And Tony Hawk said, The first crew represented the different styles of skating, the guys who were really pushing the limits and to a certain extent, the diversity. Looking back, obviously it was super skewed. There's only one girl, but at the same time, that was the state of skateboarding. The ratio of male to female was so offset. Alyssa was truly the best choice in terms of the best street skater. Uh, Even with Kareem representing African-Americans, the ratio is way more equal in skating now. At the time, it wasn't. And a lot of people have told me that's what got them into skating. They saw Kareem in the game and they were like, oh, it's not just a white boy sport. I actually heard it from Pharrell Williams. He was telling me about growing up in Virginia, being a skater and how it was just not cool in his region and his crew. He said after the video game came out, it was just normalized, which I think is so cool, and I think that perfectly encapsulates what kind of effect this video game truly had on skateboarding as a sport, as a hobby. Way more people were getting involved when this game came out. It's unbelievable.
0: And it goes without saying that Bob Bernquist was a landmark uh, representation for Brazilian nerds wearing bucket hats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. So, also, perfect timing. In the summer of 1999 uh, when this when this video game is supposed to be coming out that same year at the X Games, it just so happens that Tony Hawk would be the first skateboarder to ever land a 900. And the 900, of course, is talking about degree degree revolutions, like 180 degree in the air. So a 900 is two and a half mid air revolutions on a skateboard off of a ramp, which well, is fucking bananas.
0: The first skateboard game was called 720, yes. named after the trick, the 720, two full rotations that Tony Hawk was also the first person to pull off.
2: There you go. So they and this is late in development. He does that and they were able to put that in the game as his special <laughs> move, which was like amazing timing perfect for them so he tony hawk's already putting skateboarding on the map in his own way outside of this incredible video game just like that's what i meant earlier when i said the perfect storm Mm -hmm. it really all happened at once it was like x games are super cool like on their own and then also this fucking the best skateboarding game ever made comes out
0: you know, like Not only that, but this is the team that can make a game that runs on the PlayStation this smoothly. I did read an interview where Tony Hawk wanted the game to be on N64 initially because ah. that's what he had. And it did go on N64 it, and wasn't as good. Well, it was fine. Just the song titles didn't uh, – the songs didn't go as long.
2: And, well, it felt a little weird, too, with that controller. It wasn't the best. I mean, maybe oh, if they yeah. made it specifically for the N64 controller, it would be different. But Weirdly it enough, I played weird. it on
0: PC. That was like odd. That was, yeah, that was how I came about it.
2: After that day, or of that day uh, that he performed the 900 for the first time, he said, This is the best day of my life. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, uh, oh, oh, and one more thing about Tony Hawk before we move on to that soundtrack is that uh, they totally offered him a one time buyout. Uh, for his
0: they offered after the game came out, and it was a pretty good hit. You know, because it was a slow didn't,
2: burn. Yeah, it was a slow start. We'll talk about it in a second. It was a slow start.
0: They offered him five hundred thousand dollars as a one-time buyout for all future royalties, and he was like, "No, nah, I want to see where this goes." And that was yep, the right, the bug. right <laughs> decision
2: because he was like he, the way he said. I had I had quotes on it, but the way he originally said it was just like. I had money at the time, so I was just like, fuck it. <laughs> it was just like amazing. And you know, and what's funny is, too, probably if he did not have money at the time, he probably would have taken that buyout. So there you go. That's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. So the soundtrack. Uh, designer Chris Roche brought in mixtapes, uh, and they also pulled from Napster, if that gives you any By the way, we have to do an episode on Napster. We do. Uh, and four soundtrack ideas. His time in skating was in the '80s when it was street punks listening to stuff like Dead Kennedys, so that of course gets wrapped into it. Tony Hawk and the rest of the team also contributed songs, Uh, and I have this quote from Les Claypool of Primus, probably my you know. So Jerry was a race car driver, is uh, on the soundtrack. Primus was one of my favorite original favorite bands. Primus Mm -hmm. was actually Primus Pork Soda was the first cassette tape I ever bought with my own money. To give you, to give you just an example of like how long I've been a Primus fan, I still love them. So I had to pull a quote from Les Claypool, bassist frontman of Primus. Larry Lalonde, who was Primus's guitarist, was our big skater. Primus shows were notorious for being very energetic, lots of moshing and stage diving, and I think it just appealed to that aggressive and somewhat rebellious sense of the skate community. We had a lot of friends that were skaters, so whenever any of those opportunities to be a part of any of that stuff. We would just let them use the stuff because we thought it was cool—a cool, cool association—to have our music be a part of these things. It was always entertaining to hear us jangling away behind these guys as they're bouncing off of walls and railings and whatnot. And uh, yeah, what and Dre was a race car driver, perfect for just the energy of that. It's also really can kind of—I guess I'll use the word cantankerous. It's just—it's got a wild vibe to it that just feels right for flinging a skater around a a park.
0: I mean, I've always been more of a Winona has a big brown beaver fan myself.
2: but Apparently about when he dated Winona Ryder, but uh, (laughs) you didn't hear that from me. Uh, Rosh was working with a music video filmmaker named Jeff Gordon doing videos for Goldfinger and bands of the likes. That's how they were able to pull some of those Bands into the fold. Peretta's ex-wife was working with the manager of Slayer and got suicidal tendencies to contribute music to the game. So again, nobody knows that this game's going to be a huge success. So it wasn't just easy for them; they couldn't just pick up the phone. I'm sure for Tony Hawk too, they get anybody they could ever want they could get on the soundtrack. But this, they had to really like hit the ground running and really like try to pull in these different resources that they had to get these names on the soundtrack. And it is just such a killer soundtrack. Dead Kennedys do Police Truck, Evan Rude with Vilified, Goldfinger Superman. I think that's probably the most iconic that's, oh. of all of them for the soundtrack. Of
0: all the third wave scoff uh, songs to just get stuck in your head for an entire drunken afternoon. Superman yeah. by Goldfinger is pretty um,
2: good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're, all of them, I think when you hear them, they're so memorable. But, yeah, Superman, I feel like, is the quintessential Tony Hawk centerpiece uh, soundtrack track. Uh, so yeah, they, they, I, I don't know what else to say about the soundtrack other than what a smart thing and what a way to actually make the game so cool. And I was thinking about it the other day, I truly do think it might not have been the first licensed music in a video game i'm sure it wasn't but it was the first time in my opinion that it was incorporated into the game in a way that was like super cool and super inherent to the game that you can't separate that game from that soundtrack oh
0: absolutely Uh,
2: in the past it was like oh maybe they got some cool music for like the title mm -hmm. opening title screen or something like that but that would be about it whereas this game i mean you're listening to fucking dope punk music like The whole time you're playing it.
0: It's the open-ended mechanics of Tony Hawk lent itself to actually having real background music instead of... Because the CD technology was was wondrous. You could have CD tracks playing while the game was loaded in RAM. This was the future. This was miraculous. But a lot of times they would get a little too overblown. So many early CD games had, quote-unquote, CD-quality audio, Uh but it wouldn't gel with what the game was doing because... In, uh, when the game is synthesizing the music on the fly, it can react to how the game is going. If you die, you can switch tracks easily.
2: I, I also feel like it had... Like be- Sonic
0: CD. Remember yeah. in Sonic CD, just the music would kind of just start going and right. wasn't really as interactive as what it should right. be? And Tony Hawk, you're just flying around. You're just kind of kicking back, and so you're just listening to background. It's just doing the work of having the radio going for you.
2: And I think it was on the same level of like a Garden State soundtrack in terms <laughs> of turning a whole a whole youth generation onto music, you know? Either you knew about this stuff already and you felt cool, or you listened to this stuff and you totally got turned on to all this punk and ska and all this great music that you were missing out on. Is it not like they had the fucking, at least not in this game, I think they did later have like the boss tones or whatever, but it's these aren't like super... Especially this first game, like, these aren't, like, super-duper popular bands, per se. Even Dead Kennedys probably wasn't as mm. pr- as popular as they are now.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, I grew up... The game that had the most impact on me was Tony Hawk 2. And even the bands that are, quote-unquote, known names are, like, a really eclectic mix. Like, you know, Naughty by Nature, Papa Hell, Roach, yeah. Power yeah. Man 5000, Rage Against the Machine. This was before Rage, like... It was another synergy thing that gorilla radio became a huge hit yeah. while it was part of the soundtrack.
2: That was I mean rage was huge by this point because gorilla radio was that was their third album so I think they were uh-huh. like pretty big. but still still uh, Millen Colin, when's the last time you thought about Millen Colin? Not in a long time. I, th- I don't
0: want to hear it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the first game, Hawk pirates a few copies of the beta for some skater/ slash gamer friends of his who instantly t- take to it. I've been they-
0: diversifying. I'm kind of in a, I'm kind of a hybrid gamer slash gamer
2: slash sk- skater. I mean, I feel like most skaters are gamers, but um <laughs> they instantly take to it and they start passing it around in the community and they all start referring to it as quote the game. They also focus-tested the game. Apparently, they would, they would put flyers up in high schools to get kids to come out and, and test out the game. They even would wheel a TV up to a skate park. I don't know how this worked in terms of power, though, but this is what they said they did. They <laughs> Just wheeled, a
0: man in a trench coat with a high-powered gas generator. Right.
2: They, they would wheel it up to a skate park and just have them play it for feedback. They also put a demo in Sony's Jam Pack demo disc, which instantly caught fire. This was back in the day, so children. Come gather around. Mm-hmm. This is a time when you learned about new games uh, primarily from actual magazines mm-hmm. and from these demo discs that would be included in these magazines, included in other video game releases. And Sony killed it with those demo discs. They would put out in you that you would have like, you know, six new games to try out a demo of. So many people got turned on to, what, Twisted Metal, this for sure. Especially, the, Twisted Metal and this especially worked so well on a demo disc because you could put one level in. And a kid could play it for fucking hours. You
0: know? And I believe this particular jam pack also was released through Pizza Hut. So ah. even if you weren't a magazine kid, you're just you just loved your goddamn personal pan pepperoni. Yeah. You walked away with a copy See, of it. Dude,
2: those I, I can't express enough how how like in popular those demo discs were for broke ass kids. So it was just a way to get free video game edge yeah. out of, you know, some yeah, you know, it was it was so they were being played all over the I remember there would be entire afternoons where we would just sit down and like go through demo discs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not actually play a full video game.
0: Plus, if there was ever a game that lent itself to a beautiful two minute chunk that you yep. could replay forever.
2: Is 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 it would be Tony Hawk. Stoll said, We thought we would do pretty well. I've watched a million curves over the years of launch in unit sales. You often see a big uptake at launch from pre orders and stuff like that, and then it comes off a bit, and then it maybe builds in the holiday. But that game never dropped. It never slowed. So it launched well, but it kept going. It just kept selling and selling. And it did have a slow start, but it was uh, yeah, it was the number thirty-one best-selling game in nineteen ninety-nine. However, it would go on to sell over five million units in his lifetime and be the best-selling game that came out in nineteen ninety-nine. Eventually, it's
0: uh, it's an it it's a rare and beautiful thing when a game becomes indispensable as part of. The uh, Consoles catalog Yeah The same way that Nobody can own a Switch Without buying Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Because yes. it's just like What are you even Like what are you even doing Right It serves a yeah, niche Yeah it was the
2: kill, it's, a, it's a bit of a killer app Yes A little exactly. bit of a killer app Like everybody had Tony Hawk And,
0: and then and, it got released For everything else And I don't think I discovered it for months
2: yeah. I probably didn't discover it For like six months Because I looked at it as like oh that's just Some sports game I, I wouldn't be interested in And then when I finally It was put in my hands I was like oh this is like The greatest, most playable thing ever.
0: Everybody who owned a Dreamcast had to have a copy because it had all the extra cool graphics. Everybody who had an N64 had to get it because it had good multiplayer and that yellow cartridge.
2: This actually just hit me. It was the first game. This is why I loved it so much. It was the first game where I was like, everything about this game is fun. <laughs> yep. Nothing's not fun about this game. Like, you play other games, you you have lives, you die, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have this and that. You, you never feel like you, you die. You might get a little frustrated trying to achieve some objective or something.
0: Specifically, but- if when on levels where there's a collectible... And there's just one weird one that you just can't hit the rail from the right ankle, right. so you just keep looping back around. But
2: it was like 99% of that game was just enjoyable without any drawback. Mm-hmm. And then also weed. And also weed. Um, So this is a great quote from Tony Hawk to explain a bit of the effect that this game had on skateboarding as a whole. Things changed in the sense that there was a fan base for skating that didn't ride skateboards themselves, myself included. My name recognition skyrocketed. I was starting to get recognized everywhere I went. My name became synonymous with something other than myself, which was weird. Skating became something that kids chose to do as easily as they chose to play baseball or basketball. More facilities were available and embraced by city councils and by parents. That was the big shift, really. A whole new generation was starting to skate and understood all of its nuances. I never imagined that growing up that I could talk to someone who doesn't skate and they'd understand what a kickflip is like. I never thought that would be possible. I understood not just what a kickflip was. I, just, I knew A, a oh, Japan Air. I knew Yeah. I knew like, crazy shit. I, I couldn't even tell you now you know, what an Ollie is, a manual, a revert, a... a just a million different tricks and crazy special. I will say, like, I
0: understand from a gameplay perspective the difference between a heel flip, a kick flip, and a pop shove it. Uh-huh. But if you flew by me on a skateboard and just, like, kicked your board weird, I'd yeah. be like, I have no idea what that was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> all the variation. We forget to say that, like, the square button was the kick flip button. But mm. if you hold, held down and kick flip, it would do, a like, a what, a probably a back? A, heel a, flip. A, a heel flip. If it did, uh, yeah, it, if you held up and did the kickflip, it would do something else. And every direction on the controller led to a different type of kickflip. That's why we talk about how all this variation and making it your own. And that was just with that button and or every other button.
0: Or if you, uh, your thumb twisted the wrong way and you thought you were going to do a kickflip, but instead you started doing a varial, which was like a 30-minute animation yeah. that took forever and you bail. It was real frustrating. Uh,
2: but then it also, yeah, it had all this, te- it's such a perfect mix. It had all this technical shit. But it also had all of this goofy shit, like the unlockable cop, or like Spider-Man. Oh, are you
0: talking about Officer Dick?
2: Yeah, all of the just, it has so much silly shit mixed in with all of this like knowledge. Like Private real- Private
0: Carrera, who real ended up getting, shoot. they ended up getting sued by Asia Carrera, because she was like, that's, that's very clearly my titties. <laughs>
2: All right, so let's get into the sequels. We're not going to go as in-depth on no, these. No, we're going to go
0: as in-depth. Ho- Holden, buckle in. We're yeah. going to talk about American Wasteland 2. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, this will be a bit of more of an overview because most everything for these next games was established in the first one. But I will say what you said, Tony Hawk 2, is your favorite. Tony Hawk
0: 2, School 2 is my favorite level in the entire game. I love the airport hangar. It's almost... Airport hangar's awesome. It's as good, you know, when you're grinding on the helicopter and it launches and opens up the secret areas. That's
2: the thing, too. The secret areas, I don't think we touched on enough. Like, there were all these secrets you could discover in the game if you played the shit out of it like we did. I would say you're probably right. I probably put the most hours into Tony Hawk 3. I probably appreciate Tony Hawk 1 the most for... It's uh, it just establishing the whole thing. But Tony Hawk 2 is that real sweet spot. It had so many good levels, so much good unlockable
0: stuff. All the ports, we should really uh, just touch on the fact that uh, the Game Boy Advance version used like weird cutting edge uh, 3D emulation to get like tiny polygon skaters on a 2D yeah. game. So here is the statement. Oh, and, uh, and uh, oddly enough, uh, the Dreamcast ports were all handled by Treyarch. A young Treyarch before they would eventually become the Black Ops people. So
2: this is the statement that always marks the beginning of the end. Activision officially acquired Neversoft at the end of 1999. Neversoft ends up expanding its team drastically from the original 12 for Tony Hawk 2 in order to release in 2000 because Activision is now going to need them to release a game every single fucking year. They used an enhanced version of the engine from the first, that they used for the first game, which, of course, was just a modified engine from the Bruce Willis game. Their biggest addition to gameplay was the manuals, which I mentioned before mm-hmm. that you uh, would allow you to link way more. It just allowed you to, to, to link up way more tricks for one giant combo that you couldn't do in the first game. They also did have the level editor, though, and a character customization in the second game as well. For the third game released in 2001 they added the revert which i mentioned before as well as a way to keep the trick going after doing a vertical trick on a half pipe and that led to even crazier combos so you could literally just do a combo for the entire two minute run and that would be that it was also the first game on the playstation 2 to have online capabilities it was literally the first playstation 2, and i didn't do anything online in playstation 2 right did you even fuck with it no uh, and with the release of Pro Skater 4, did you play Pro Skater 4?
0: Uh, no, I think I, by that time I had, uh, I don't think I even had a, yeah, I completely Me skipped too. the- Me I
2: felt, to- I don't understand what happened.
0: I, I made it to college, and yeah. I didn't, I. I think one You're just trying to get laid. One per tried and, <laughs> failed. and, failed, yeah, and failed, failed and failed and uh, failed. I never got into the GameCube, uh, PS2, Xbox era. I think one friend had a GameCube and we just played Smash.
2: So by PlayStation, by Pro Skater Four, I mi- I miss it, Jake. I mm. missed out on the Smash days. But
0: play, you know, uh, I think PlayStation Four was the last version to come out on the old school or PlayStation. Pro Skater Four. Yeah, Pro Skater Four was the last version to come out on the old school PlayStation, ah. which. You know, that's 2002 on a 32-bit system. That's an accomplishment. Yeah, and uh, this- Even though it was Vicarious Visions, uh, not Neversoft who made it. Even though by this time, too,
2: it was 150 people from 12 to 150 is pretty unbelievable. The
0: HD era fucked with people. Like, the amount, you know, you could, three people could make a Super Nintendo game. You needed 100 people to make a HD era
2: game. 100%. So this is when they start having a little bit of a different type of career mode. There was no time limit, and you got objectives from people in the environment, like a terrible Sonic game.
0: (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) And it oh, was, and this introduced where you can like get off your board and walk around a little oh, bit. Oh, really? Yeah. See, is
2: the thing I don't even know because I didn't even. But that makes sense, right? Yeah. If you, if yeah, which is weird. And I don't understand why they had to futz with it like this. I think I, I think they were just looking at other games and making decisions based off of that, and not making decisions based off of what would be best for the franchise. So, Underground marks a sea change for the game with a more complex storytelling approach. It had a, a theme of individuality with more complex character customization, and you didn't play a famous skater in the career mode. Also, uh, it was done because crimes were committed in the story, which would reflect badly on real-world people. So you played, like, your own avatar. Uh, You could email in a picture of your face.
0: Oh, this was insane. And get
2: it digitized for the game. I kind of vaguely remember this. It's
0: such a roundabout backwards way to do this. But yes, there was a way to... And it never turned out good. Nobody looked good.
2: (laughs) And the levels were a lot larger than previous games. I never put my hands on any of the underground games. Did Uh, you?
0: A little bit. Just for... And only after the fact. Just to like kind of... Because it is a little bit cringy. It is very you know, this hyper, post-jackass version of skate culture. So
2: that was especially in Underground 2, which is referred to as more... Oh wait,
0: I just, I, for fans of the series, Sure. yes, Eric Sparrow is a piece of shit. <laughs> who is was Sparrow? In story mode, he's oh. your friend who, like, oh, at yeah, first is there with the you the along for the he's, ride. He's and then he you... fucking backstabs you and yeah. claims your fame for his own.
2: And he's the one making you do all those crimes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> fucking poser, the crime riddled poser, Eric Sparrow.
2: Uh, and so Underground 2 was referred to as more of a jackass game than the jackass game. And was featured and featured a story revolving around Tony Hawk and Bam Margera putting on a world destruction tour with a bunch of folks from the Jackass gang making it. And
0: Viva La Bam, like his dad and like Phil, all these weirdos. Right, all
2: the whole crew was there, and just sounds. I think Wee Man's
0: there. I think Wee Man shows up. Yes,
2: Wee Man's definitely in it, and it's it just sounds like they just are totally losing the script on what made the original game so good. And honestly, I don't think they could have kept pumping out normal versions of Tony Hawk but if they were going to have to do it every year, but they could have every 2 years or every so, other year, but they, they it's just the
0: Activision effect, man. So Activision wanted to do Madden. They wanted to do uh the yearly sports release, yeah. but Ugh. skateboarding didn't quite work like that. There wasn't like the skateboarding all-star team. There wasn't uh you know, just this one license that you can get and get all these players and all these people. Each pro had to get negotiated with their own Uh, individual brands and they
2: were those prices were going up 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 with the success of the first couple of games absolutely really expensive so the
0: only way to innovate is just to kind of fuck with the the formula otherwise you're just remaking the same game over and over again which fucking with the formula does in
2: this scenario it just it's not good Mm -hmm. in any way American Wasteland went for the open world thing because everybody's doing that at this point. It's released in 2005, and again, every year got a Tony Hawk release from the original game. This is up uh, to now.
0: I think American Wasteland and I think Tony Hawk Underground was advertised as having no loading screens, a completely open world with no loading screens. You
2: know, just loading tunnels.
0: Yes. Just weird, narrow tunnels with nothing to do that you had to just skate down for 20 seconds as your system constantly skipped frames because it was clearly loaded.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they tried to give it the illusion of an open world with that. It was set in the city of Los Angeles. It was broken up into different levels. And I'm not necessarily saying these games per se are bad if you have fond memory of playing these games. They all did reasonably well with I watched
0: a YouTube video about Wasteland, and uh, the theme is you're like tearing up bits of Los Angeles to get scrap metal so that you can build your own perfect skate park. And the reward for beating the game is you get to skate in your your American wasteland park, but it's just full of trash. (laughs) It's literally a level that's just littered with trash. (laughs) So you don't really get a sense of victory. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: The next game was Project 8, which was the first to come out on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 and featured a more legit open world it was a uh, uh, proving ground released in two thousand and seven. Had a similar concept, but with three open world areas, and that is where we get up to. Oh, and uh, then the real uh, beginning of the end. Project
0: happens. Eight and uh, Proving Grounds had the nail the trick mechanic, where it kind of you did tricks in bullet time, and it was a more visually interesting. Instead of uh, hitting the kick flick button, you actually had to. L- kick the board and see it rotate and know when to land on it. Huh. So it gave you a better technical understanding of how these tricks worked, which was interesting. Very interesting. I think project eight also had a new camera angle. The entire thing was, we're going to be less arcadey. We're going to make it feel more true to skateboarding, but then they would still incorporate all these never soft antics that kind of killed the illusion of that. Hmm. By this time also skate had had come out and uh, skate one through three kind of stole away all the hardcore skateboarding fans yes
2: and skate i never played skate but i kind of want to go back and try it just because i know (laughs) so many people love it obviously there's that whole skate 3 meme with the glitches yeah or or is it skate isn't everybody demanding a skate 3 or they're asking for skate 4
0: maybe i think it's skate 4
2: okay yeah there's that meme where they're just constantly screaming for ea to make another skate game and this game was more technical where tony hawk the whole i think the whole center around it was like non-skaters and skaters alike can sit down and immediately enjoy this game where a skate was like this is the real deal this is actually like simulating what it is to have an actual experience on a skateboard and yeah that's that they essentially innovated on the tony hawk thing better than tony hawk the tony hawk franchise was able to do so at this point every single year from 1999 up to 2007 had a Tony Hawk release, and I definitely suffered from the fatigue, and it Not was Not only Tony game. Hawk
0: releases, Tony Hawk ports, Tony yes. Hawk mobile adaptions, Tony Hawk the breakfast cereal. Yeah, it's Every too single. much. Some, I think the final number is there's close to, in terms of individual skews between the Downhill Jam games, the mobile spinoffs, 97 Tony Hawk titles. Wow. Which is insanity.
2: So by this point, most of Neversoft, because Activision's doing the Activision thing, they were all being tasked with different things, like the Guitar Hero franchise, which Neversoft later would become incredibly popular for around this time, rather, and Call of Duty, which you mentioned just a little while ago. Now they're just pushing them into working on all these different other games uh, and are eventually merged into Infinity Ward in 2014. So in an attempt to revitalize the series, which is now losing the fight against Skate, among other things Activision moves the franchise over to a developer named Robomodo you fucks and I know I'm not supposed to hate you because I'm sure you have a lot going on but boy did you fucking destroy my favorite video game
0: franchise so as the HD era came about a lot of previous studios were getting their asses kicked among them was midway and an EA, uh, ea internal development studio ea chicago both based in chicago yes so a lot of the refugees from that fallout kind of formed together to become Moto.
2: yes and this is this is well okay the one good thing they do is they give the franchise a much needed year off <clears throat> everything else they do is terrible uh, so hoping to put the franchise back in the map this is around the time of the Wii and the Kinect and all this bullshit coming out, all this motion control shit, and Guitar Hero and Rock Band, all everything's about motion controls. And so Activision announces a new motion-sensing balance board saying that players will quote put down the controller step on the board and feel the sensation of going big shift your weight to turn and balance grinds kick back on the tail of the board ollie and learn and lean into airs to pull off huge spins so tony hawk ride is released in late 2009 to terrible reviews of course the board i looked up like an old giant bomb review <laughs> of it essentially it's just the board and the software do not communicate well at all it just is very unintuitive uh, In other words, the opposite of what the Tony Hawk experience has been up until
0: this point. What greedy fools, what (laughs) idiot suits, what hack developers thought that a big dumb motion controller peripheral was gonna save the franchise. An expensive, poorly designed, idiotically executed peripheral. What dumb, poisonous fool would actually think that could improve the Tony Hawk games? Oh, wait, it was Tony Hawk himself who pitched the idea to Activision. Oh, really?
2: Well, again, this is a quote from looking, Tony Hawk. He's uh, looking at Rockstar, probably, or a rock band, probably, and being like, that, ah, we should do that.
0: Well, he's just, he. I mean, the dream for any skater is definitely to do virtual skating. True. And so he thought he had enough clout to do it. This is a quote from, oddly enough, Matt McMuscle's uh, What Happened video for uh, Tony Hawk 5. Hell yeah, check it uh, out. But this is Tony Hawk uh, in an interview uh, right before the release of Ride. I'm scared to death about it because I know how much is writing on it, how much Activision has invested in it. I brought this idea to them, and they've dedicated two years of development and research, but who knows how it'll do? It's a scary prospect, but I know it's good.
2: (laughs) And they also just did dumb shit. This is where we lose the quick restart, where like they would have Mm -hmm. a challenge mode where if you fucked up, you would have to still wait till the end of the challenge mode to start over again. Just stuff like that that was like, just made the game enjoy, like everything I said about how fun the game was, and how this is the first game I ever played that felt like 99% fun (laughs) with no bullshit. They just got rid of all that stuff. They also
0: had no idea how to market this thing. uh For example, are you marketing to teens who love Tony Hawk? are you marketing to kids in the toy section? Yeah. The board itself, people have said it is actually a solid piece of hardware, and that uh, the main problem that seems to be the issue with the board is that uh it relies on a series of ir sensors in the front back and sides so it can feel when your uh, foot is moving to push yourself ahead or when you're going down to grab the lip but it needs perfect well-lit conditions in order for the ir light feed to like be steady so a passing shadow or a dark area or even just like carpeting that's a little too shaggy will completely fuck it up and there it'll be a hundred percent unresponsive the developers, you know, Robomoto was hoping for a seventy dollar, eighty dollar kind of thing, you know, like, oh, we're right. making this toy and we're making a side game for the toy. Instead
2: it's hundred and twenty dollars mm-hmm. for the whole package. Yeah. Which is ludicrous, especially for like one specific experience. Now from and I was about to say, from a marketing standpoint, if you put out you know, you put out the guitar, you put out the Wiimote. And these are things that people look at and be like that's a fun party thing and mm-hmm. a fun personal thing. But a skateboard, you're not you're not going to have a bunch of people over and be like let's all ride the board. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cuz you're not able to do that with people. With rock band and guitar hero, normally you have at least two guitars and you're playing together and it's a fun thing for everyone to interact in the skateboard is just not at all conducive to that experience and i think that they lost the script in terms of like why
0: those other peripherals were so popular you know meanwhile a bad peripheral can sink uh publishers thq famously yeah went out of business because they made a billion of those u-draw tablets yeah and couldn't sell them peripherals dangerous business
2: yeah <laughs> i will not fuck with uh so yeah, uh Shred is the sequel. They sold only three thousand copies. In their uh, first week. Oh, in their first week. Yeah. But that's still bad. That's still very bad. And the franchise was put completely on hold. Years later, in twenty twelve, they put out the HD remake of Tony Hawk. And man
0: robomodo did put out a mobile skate game yes. without the Tony Hawk branding in between, I guess to keep their chops up. Gotcha.
2: So this Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD had just random different levels from the first three games and none of
0: the music licenses only a handful of the pro licenses and
2: like I said I think I mentioned this earlier in the episode I was so excited for this I was like hell yeah I love these games I would I can't wait to play it I had an Xbox 360 I bought it on the digital and I immediately felt bad
0: we were in the era of the quality eight well Mixed quality HD remix era, you know, um, yeah, me- uh, Metal Gear Solid, a bunch of games. It yeah. was a thing. It was it was a great nostalgia Dude, time.
2: The timing on the jumps just felt wrong. I was busting all over the place, and I was like, "What happened?" And at first, I was like, "Maybe I'm just I'm used to playing this on a PlayStation controller, and and the Xbox controller's fucking with me." And no, but I heard this from other people, and then I realized, no, they just fucked it up. They just fucked up the game
0: feel. Unreal 3 is just not great for very kinetic responsive games.
2: Yeah, it's it's it, it never quite just it never felt good. And that was the whole point of the original games, is that it felt so good immediately. So I was very disappointed when that game came out. And this is also put out by Robomoto. And they also didn't have the split screen multiplayer, they didn't have a part creator. Okay, so cut to 2015. And uh, Robomoto is announcing, and Activision are announcing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5, which is like, oh my god, they're actually doing a new, full-on, traditional Tony Hawk game. So excited, right?
0: The cynicism involved in making it a numbered sequel... You're speaking volumes of after all this time, you're saying yes. this is it's Tony the, Hawk 5. We're going back to the rule book. It's going to be the game you loved playing. And it's definitely not because the 20-year licensing deal that Activision yeah. had signed with Tony way back in the day was finally going, but uh, also, was finally ending.
2: it was three years after the HD remake, and it almost seems like they somebody forgot... Until the year of the license go- being expired. Yes. And then and then said, Oh shit, we gotta make a game because it was totally rushed within just a few months mm-hmm. it was put out. And the day that it was put out, it was released classically. This is like I remember this like mm-hmm. it was yesterday because it was I was so dumbfounded by the whole situation.
0: Oh, well there was a reviewer embargo, so yeah everybody all the reviews came out the day of launch when it was super broken. Well,
2: it wouldn't have mattered either. Because the day of launch, they released an eight gigabyte patch, which was literally just the entire game.
0: Oh yeah, on the disc was only four gigabytes of data. Yeah, and, and it was th- it
2: was like just practice mode and like the tutorial. So I mean, even if you didn't have the embargo, you wouldn't have actually played the game until that day of release.
0: So imagine you have, you bought a mint copy of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Five to play on your PlayStation Four uh, right now. The servers are down. Yeah. The game just does not work.
2: Two years later, they shut down the servers in 2017, making it completely unplayable. Early footage showed outdated graphics. So, Robomoto changes it. They duct tape this situation by making it a cel shade style. And then
0: Activision it- definitely demanded too many ports. Uh, <laughs> the reason why the graphics are so shitty is that it still runs on Unreal 3. Because Unreal 4 couldn't run on PlayStation 3 yeah, or came Xbox out, 360.
2: It came out on 3, 4, 360, and Xbox One. Mm-hmm. I remember it was right around the transition time where we're getting the new consoles, kind of like we'll get in 2020. Also, it was just littered with bugs. Uh, the clipping into the environment. There was physics issues. And it, it also just had really boring environments. The challenges were uninteresting. The um, I, I will say one good – Lil Wayne is in it. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Wayne is in it. But, uh, yeah, and and also, oh again... Oh, my God, you
0: say Lil John?
2: <laughs> no, dude. Oh, He's okay. out of style, dude. Lil Wayne no, is up in it. The okay. Carter is in it. Uh, I will say, too, they also, again, I forget exactly how they fucked it up, but they fucked up the quick restart in this game. I think you had to go into, like, two different mm. menus that were really slow to load to do a restart, which would be, like, a really long... Load time. They just fucked everything up in this game, every way that you could possibly fuck it up. So uh, yeah, that is essentially where the whole franchise is up to this point. In 2017, Hawk mentioned in an interview that he was interested in moving on without Activision now because the license, of course, ran out and was looking at virtual reality, just like you said, looking, wanting that virtual skate game.
0: He did release a mobile game called Tony Hawk's Skate Jam. I have heard it is terrible. Okay,
2: yeah, and it's not an Activision game, Um, and uh, yeah, that is the sad- He
0: switched basically to just being weird and sad on Twitter, and yeah. I am here for it.
2: That is the rise and fall of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater franchise. I wish that they could, I just wish that they could just Get that classic game feel back, and just give us like an an uh the real HD remake where it's like the full game too, and it's, you know, I think that they could take Tony Hawk one, two, and three, give you all those levels, all the all that good stuff. The only problem is, I guess, is the licensing. At the end of the day, I just want I want Tony Hawk back in my life, and it makes me so sad. And not Tony Hawk the guy, Tony Hawk's pro skater, the video game, because it's such a fucking good thing. And it it's really, you can't, it's incomparable, I think, to any other franchise, including Skate, because Skate's going for something else. And uh, yeah, it's just, it seems like it's lost to time and to capitalism. <laughs> Thanks, Activision.
0: Yeah, if they had just let it simmer. If maybe, yeah, if they had just held back on the greed and just every four years, there's a new Kind of the Mario Kart model. Yeah. Every generation, there's a new Tony Hawk game. Every generation, yeah. You you know, you have fun. Now you can, you know, you don't have to have yearly releases. You can download tracks. Put out more DLC.
2: Yeah, put out more. Yeah, 100%. It would have been much better. Tony Hawk's perfect for DLC. (laughs) Like, so easy. Just, you know, just here's another set of levels for career mode. And here's some more skaters.
0: Uh, I will say that, you know, the future is still bright. The, The Tony Hawk candle is still burning in the hearts and souls of our nation's youth. <laughs> Coming up on Switch is an indie game called Skatebird that looks adorable. Okay. Uh, 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 look it up, Olden. I just need you to respond to uh, how adorable Skatebird looks. Skatebird, okay. Uh, I d- I, I, it looks so cute. Da- I mean, <laughs> mean, hey,
2: give it to me. Yeah, if that's what it is, if that's what I got, if I need to be a tiny little bird... <laughs> On a a, a Toy Story-esque environment skating around to get that feel back, I will go
0: for it. We didn't have time to mention it in the episode, but uh, My Chemical Romance, when interviewed by Tony Hawk, claims that uh, they wouldn't have formed the band as they did if it wasn't for the fact that they shared rehearsal space with uh, another band. And the only time they would meet up was to play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater (laughs) in between sets. That's great. It was really it
2: was a unifying thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever gotten that again as much as with Tony Hawk where you could walk into a room and a group of people would be playing it and you could just sit down and immediately just start passing the controller around, like in a way that fighting games never were able to do. It, it, it was such a social game, I Fighting
0: feel like. games, Maybe Golden Smash, Eye, Smash,
2: Smash, Smash, GoldenEye, it had that same vibe. You could walk into a room, you might not know anybody in that room, you might be totally intimidated by the whole social scenario, and thank God, Tony Hawk's on the screen, and I know how to do all the tricks, and I'm just gonna sit down and immediately pick up the controller.
0: What the fuck, you can't be Bucky Lasik, I'm Bucky Lasik. <laughs>
2: And that's it. I think that's our episode. Uh, I loved researching that. This is one I've been wanting to do for a long time now, so I'm glad we got to finally do it. If you want to check us out further, check out our Patreon, guys. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. You've got, uh, for just $5 a month, you've got a free bonus episode every, it's not free, it's $5 a month, a bonus episode every single week. And, um, yeah, uh, you can also follow me on Twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo. We got to get you on soon, Jake. Maybe in the new year we'll do a Whizbrew. Oh,
0: hell yeah. Those kick, are always kickoff fun. Kickoff
2: stream, Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that'll be fun. That'll be a good one. So We check. can play
0: Tony Hawk. Yeah! Oh, oh, no, we can. Oh, we didn't even mention we? Thug Pro. S- yeah. Uh, if you download the PC version of okay. Tony Hawk's Pro uh, Underground 2, you can very easily convert it to Thug Pro, which okay. is an active... Still being played, still being updated, fully online. Every track, it's this burgeoning community that still keeps that Tony Hawk dream alive. Hell yeah. So maybe we shouldn't stop, Maybe we should do that. Yeah. because uh, there's no to do that. use for fussing and fighting, my friend. But baby, I'm amazed <laughs> at the hate that you can send at you. <laughs> Put in my entire world. But I... Don't have the turpentine to clean what you have soiled. Thank you, everybody. And I won't forget it. For joining us. (laughs) At best Jake Young on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. And always
2: remember, keep on whizzing. Never stop bruising. Guess what, fans of the last podcast network? The story must be told. Just got a Patreon. Patreon.com slash TSMBT. That's right. Pay for access to brand new, world-changing, state-of-the-art religious truths that exist solely behind a paywall. The story must be told. We still release free stories every other
1: week. They're scary, funny, gross, weirdly sentimental. But now we can separate our listeners based on income. (laughs) Everyone gets The Story Must Be Told for free. But if you subscribe, you get the 522 Club, a podcast, where we just chit-chat the story and all its truths.
2: Like what fluid will the Church of the Story ban next? Maybe nut milk, maybe vape juice, maybe blood. You'll have to give us your money to find out.
1: Head to patreon.com slash to subscribe for bonus content or listen to The Story Must Be Told for free every other week on your favorite podcast app. The Story Must Be Told.
2: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support